Good evening, everyone. My name is Betsy. I'm a member here, and I will be reading the sermon scripture passage for today. Um, tonight, we're reading from 2 Samuel chapter 12, verses 1 through 7a. So I invite you to turn there in your Bible. Um, if you don't have a Bible with you, you can also look it up on your phone. So once again, we're reading from 2 Samuel chapter 12, verses 1 through 7a. And the Lord sent Nathan to David. He came to him and said to him, there were two men in a certain city, one rich and the other poor. The rich man had many flocks and herds, but the poor man had nothing but one little ewe lamb, which he had bought. And he brought it up, and it grew up with him and with his children. It used to eat of his morsel and drink from his cup and lie in his arms, and it was like a daughter to him. Now there came a traveler to the rich man, and he was unwilling to take one of his own flock or herd to prepare for the guest who had come to him. But he took the poor man's lamb and prepared it for the man who had come to him. Then David's anger was greatly kindled against the man, and he said to Nathan, As the Lord lives, the man who has done this deserves to die, and he shall restore the lamb fourfold, because he did this thing, and because he had no pity." Nathan said to David, you are the man. This is God's word. What a great punchline. Um, good evening, everybody. For those of you joining us for the first time, those of you joining us uh, online, welcome. If you don't know me, my name is Steve. I'm the lead pastor here. And as Luke mentioned in the beginning, regardless of what your church background is, spiritual background is, we're really glad that you're with us. And the point of tonight is not just to learn some information or even to have community, as good as those things are, but it's to see Jesus. And that's what we long for you guys uh, to do this evening. So we are, for those of you who are new, we're walking through the gospel in the life of David. And I know for some of you it's been, I think some of the sections have seemed pretty abstract and maybe hard to relate to or to, yeah, just really connect to. Because um, it's not a story I recognize that all of us in here have read before. And so something that might be helpful to connect David's life to your life is, think about a family tree. So when you know your parents better, when you know your grandparents better, you know yourself better. And it's the same way with, as we get to know David, because David's one of the key figures in the line of Jesus. And so when you get to know more about David, you get to know Jesus better. And also because if you're trusting in Jesus, you're grafted into Christ's line, uh, you, you get to know um, yourself better as well. And so just hopefully that's helpful to think about, like learning more about your family tree and where you've come from as we finish out David's life here. And so what we're doing tonight is we're looking at the same incident that we looked at last week, um, David's uh, murder of his friend Uriah, his sexual assault on Bathsheba, and then the confrontation that Nathan comes to him with. And so, but what we're gonna do tonight is focus on Nathan's um, confrontation with David because what Nathan does here is remarkable. So this is a highly combustible situation. I mean, things are balancing on the edge of a knife. David could have Nathan killed if Nathan missteps. And with remarkable deafness, uh, Nathan opens David to his blindness and leads David to repentance. And like, I want to be like Nathan, um, like, especially for those of you who know me. So something that more than one of you have told me is something along the lines of, I wouldn't make a great politician. And I think for a number of reasons you think this, but one of them is, I've been told, I'm not the best when it comes to subtlety in my counseling. 
Um, so I, you all have used the phrase of, you know, occasionally I can come in more like a snowplow coming through when I count you rather than a surgeon's knife. I'm sorry. I'm trying to get better at that. But Nathan here is a great example of how to come into a situation and to be very blunt, but at the same time gracious and compassionate and also um, very much um, yeah, just on the nose and surgical with his approach. So we're going to learn a lot. And the, the main idea from this passage is that we need Nathans in our life. And we need to be Nathans to other people in our lives. That's the main idea. We need Nathans in our lives. We actually open ourselves up to correction. And we need to be Nathans in the lives of others where we go into other people's lives and correct them with grace as Nathan does here with David. And so as we jump in, an encouragement to you guys is it may be easy for some of you especially to start thinking about somebody else who really needs to hear this message. Like, oh yeah, so-and-so really needs to be more open to confrontation and correction. But I want to challenge you guys to really put yourself in, okay, how do I need to be more open to correction in my life? And how can I be better at going after other people? Because in the church, I find that a lot of us are decent at this until we really need to be. And we say, yes, I I need correction. I need to correct others. Until you get in a a situation that... um, is, is very highly emotional, or you're very blind to a pattern or a behavior in your life, and you just don't want to hear it from other people. And I've seen so many people in my life who will acknowledge, yes, I need to be open to correction, but then when the time comes they actually need it, they just shut people out. And so let's, let's see how God wants to teach us through this text. And so we'll just walk through it this way. We'll look at what does Nathan do, why does Nathan do it the way he does, and then number three, how can we be Nathans to other people? And how can we be open to receiving Nathan's uh, in the same way that David does here? So first, what, what does Nathan do? Simple question. Number two, why does he do it the way he does it? And number three, how can we be Nathan's to other people? Uh, and then how can we also receive Nathan's when they come to us? Okay. So first, number one, what does Nathan do? And you appreciate what he does when you know the context. So keep in mind, David's the king. He's just murdered his good friend. Uh, He took Bathsheba for himself, and then he killed or manipulated everybody who who would expose him, who threatened to expose him. And so if you're Nathan, and then God shows up in chapter 12, verse 1, it says the Lord sent Nathan to David. So God comes to Nathan and says, you need to go to David. If I was Nathan, I mean, I would have said something like, hmm, funny thing, God, I decided to retire early today. You know, I'm I'm no longer going to act as a prophet. But Nathan goes. So that's what he does. Nathan goes. And if Nathan didn't go to David, who knows where David would have ended up? Because David is on a spiral right now. He's incredibly blind to what he's doing. But it's because Nathan, one, had courage, and two, cared about David to go. That is what brought David back into the light. And so in the same way, you need to go to other people in your life because there are people in your life who need to hear things that you see that they are blind to. I need people to come to me and tell me things that I am blind to. That's the first thing. Nathan, he goes. But number two, what else does he do? He doesn't just go. Notice how he goes into the situation. So does verse 7, where Nathan says to David, you are the man. Notice that that's the punchline. It's not the introduction. So a lot of us, when we go to confront people, we either, we either, we either don't do it all just because it's going to make us too uncomfortable, or we come in with guns a-blazing. You know, how dare you? I know what you did last summer, but that's not what Nathan does. He goes into David and he says, hey, David, I have a case. 
Because for David, so the king, right, he was the judicial branch and the executive branch. And so David, as the king, would oversee cases. And so Nathan just walks in, just very nonchalantly says, all right, King David, I have a case for you. There was a rich man. He had tons of sheep, everything he could want. There was a poor man. He only had one you little lamb that he nurtured like a daughter. And then the rich man, he took the poor man's little sheep and slaughtered it for himself. And you notice what he's doing here is, it's, it's very skillful because, one, he's removing David from the equation so David will actually view things objectively um, because, you know, when we walk in sin, we're often blind to what we're doing. So he, he makes David see this through a more objective lens. But number two, he, he ties it to something that David would relate to. So notice that it's not an accident that Nathan uses a little sheep as the example of the animal that was taken from the wealthy man because who was a shepherd in his prior life? It would protect helpless sheep. King David. So you, see, so you see what Nathan's doing here. And it's a little bit like this. Kelsey just finished reading a book on parenting as we're uh, just learning how often we fail as parents. And so the author, her name's Rachel, she was sharing how one of the ways she disciplines her son. She has a son and then he has a little sister. And when her son starts like punching his, his younger sister, what she does is she walks up to her son and she says, hey, let me tell you a story about a prince who went to go rescue a princess from a dragon. And when the prince showed up, instead of defeating the dragon, he started beating up the princess. And her son will go, what? You know, how dare he? Why isn't he, why isn't he protecting the princess? And she goes, exactly. <laughs> hmm? Yep. Instead of beating up your sister, instead, why don't you protect her just as the prince? And he's like, oh, okay. Because that's how, that's how it works. Stories are very helpful with driving lessons home. And so that's the first thing Nathan does is, is he goes... But then he's very thoughtful in his approach. He's not highly emotional. He thinks about what he's going to do, and then he goes in to confront David. So that's first what Nathan does. So number two, and here is more important, why does Nathan do it the way he does it? Okay. Um, The reason why Nathan goes about the way he does, very winsomely telling a story, you can see it back in chapter 11, verses 25. So after David does, you know, he... He murders, he covers up, and then in verse 25, David says to a messenger, do not let this matter displease you. That literally means don't find this thing evil in your eyes. So David legitimately didn't believe he had done anything evil. Like he really thought what he had done was okay. And you say, well, you know, like how can this be? How could David possibly have thought that what he did was actually okay. And, and here's how. So if you, if you listen to people who know leadership really well and understand leadership dynamics, what you'll hear is when you're in a position of leadership, and the bigger the organization is, the easier it is to fall into this trap. So as a leader, uh, you often make a lot of sacrifices that people don't see. You don't have a life of your own. And even worse, you often get mischaracterized or accused. And a lot of the accusations aren't even true. And so what happens over time is as you make a lot of sacrifices and you, you, you do things for people that they don't notice, you get falsely accused. I'm not talking about myself, by the way. Okay, I'm just I, out there. <laughs> okay, I love you guys. What happens is, is self-righteousness creeps in and self-pity creeps in, right? Like, look at all I'm doing for these people and they're, they're not grateful. People don't even see me correctly. And so then what happens is, is when an opportunity comes along, to have an affair, to embezzle, you know, you're out on the rooftop, so to speak, like David, what happens is, is you actually say to yourself, I deserve this. Like, after everything I've done, after everything I've been put through, 
I deserve this. And you, you think it's okay. Because there's no way you can walk in a pattern of sin like David does without spinning a massive web of rationalizations and self-justifications to make yourself really believe what you're doing is okay. You see it all the time. So a wealthy parent bribes a bunch of school administrators to get their kid into an Ivy League school. And when confronted on it, well, I didn't do anything evil. I was just trying to protect my child. I didn't want my child to fail. It's fine. Or a public official, you know, in politics or in media, um, abuses somebody, runs over somebody, embezzles. And instead of confessing, they cover it up. Why? Well, because I don't want to destroy the people's trust in, in public officials. The, you know, the stability of society is at stake. Like, that's why I'm covering up. It goes on all the time. And I don't want us to think, okay, that's just what happens out there with people in high positions of power. I mean, think about it in situations like our church. Hey, why, don't you spend, why don't you spend more time in community? Well, I'm introverted. Or I'm, I'm really busy. Why aren't you teachable? I am teachable. I just, you just don't have anything to teach me. <laughs> you know, on and on it goes. Like, why aren't you more gracious with your speech? Well, I just like to tell it how it is. I don't actually do anything wrong. On and on it goes. We, like, we always justify ourselves. And so... One of the lessons here is if David was so blind to what he did, and you know, David wrote Psalms, inspired word of God. David forgave his enemies in ways that I don't think any of us have ever done. If David fell into the blindness that he did, one of the key lessons here is you are blind somewhere. I am blind somewhere. And so we need Nathans in our life to correct us for our good and for other people's good. And like one of, the one, one of the key indicators you know you're blind is if even as I'm talking right now, you're saying, I'm not blind. Like I know, I know all my shortcomings, I know all my sins, I know where I have to grow. Like that's the deceitfulness of sin, right? Like you can be blind to your own blindness. Or just another question to ask yourself is, am I skillful and quick at noticing and pointing out other people's shortcomings? More often than I'm pleading with God in prayer and working with other people in my community to work on my own flaws and my own shortcomings and sins. Because we're so blind. That's why the book of Hebrews says you need to meet with one another regularly so you are not hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. This is why Nathan does what he does. Because if he just comes in, liar, womanizer, you know, murderer. Immediately, David, the drawbridge would have come up, archers would have been put on the walls, and David would have just shot into self-justifications, rationalizations about why, why he did what he did. But because he went in winsomely, he actually enabled David to see what he so badly needed to see. We need Nathans in our lives. We need to be Nathans in the lives of others. Okay, so now number three. What's the key to being a Nathan? And what's the key to act, being able to receive Nathans in our lives when they come to us? Because it's, it's easy to receive a Nathan when, they, you know, when somebody touches on something that isn't really that important to you. But we're all a mama bear about something. Like there's something in our life where we are highly protective of. And so when people confront us, what we do is we either, you know, we either make excuses, we get defensive, we just ignore what they say, we get angry where we don't even open ourselves up in community for other people to speak into our lives. 
And see, when you do that, what's going on is you're engaging in some form of self-worship where you're putting yourself on a pedestal. When you put yourself up on a pedestal, there's something that's core to your worth that's not Jesus Christ. So it's something about your character, it's something about your competence, it's something about some pursuit that you're after. And so when somebody comes after you to confront you, the reason why you put up all the defenses is because that's core to your identity. And that's a fragile sense of self-worth and identity because you're always having to defend it. And so the way that you can receive Nathan's in your life, when somebody corrects you to not immediately go into justification but hear people out, is you need to hear what David was told. So notice before David repents in verse 13, so this wasn't in the reading, but in verse 7 through 9, Nathan, God speaking through Nathan reminds David, David, remember, I'm the one who pulled you out of the sheep pasture. I anointed you king over Israel. I delivered you out of the hand of Saul. I gave you your master's house. On and on and goes. What God's saying is, David, every single thing you have is not because you earned it or you deserved it, but because of my grace. And your happiness and your worth doesn't come from you. It comes from me. And that's the same thing that we need to see, is that our, our value and worth comes from God. You say, okay, that, that's kind of helpful. Maybe that's a little abstract, though. So go back to the story that Nathan tells David. So there was a rich man who had everything. He sees a poor man who's destitute, who can't give him anything. And what the rich man does is he takes what's most precious to the poor man. But the gospel is the exact opposite. Because King Jesus is the most wealthy individual in the world. And when he sees you, a spiritually poor man, a destitute woman, he doesn't take from you, he doesn't ignore you. What he does is he sees you. He sees you in your weakness. He sees you with all your fears. He sees all of your insecurities. He sees all of your sin. He sees all of your worst thoughts and motives that you'd be mortified if they were put up on a screen for other people to see. And he says, I love you to the skies. And so rather than taking from you, I'm going to give up what is most precious to me the eternal bond of love I've had with God the Father from all eternity. I'm going to go to the cross and be condemned for your sin and for the sins of the world. I'm going to raise from the dead so that when you trust in me, you have an inheritance that doesn't perish, spoil, or fade. You are adopted into the family of God the Father, and I will never leave you or forsake you. That's the gospel. And when you see what Jesus has done for you, and you see that you are wealthy beyond imagining in Jesus Christ, and he's seen all of you and loves you, you want to be corrected. Because being corrected is one of the main ways that Jesus grows you into his likeness. And even if somebody criticizes you that's false, like somebody comes after you and condemns you, criticizes you for something that's not true, you know what you say? You say, I'm actually far worse than you think. Like, if you were to see all of me, your evaluation would change and it wouldn't be for the better. But Jesus Christ, who's wealthy beyond imagining, gave up his wealth for me and gave up his life for me so that I can be rich and so that I can be a God's family. So yeah, you know, come what may, say what you will. I'll still even find the grain of truth in what you're saying so that I can grow into the likeness of Christ. And so make no mistake here as we, as we talk about you know, confronting other people winsomely as we talk about receiving correction. That's not at the heart of this text, really. What's at the heart of this text is seeing Jesus. And that's at the heart of any text. That's hard, that should be at the heart of any sermon, 
preached rightly, is what we're doing here is we're seeing Jesus. And as we see Jesus, then we live accordingly. Okay, so that's how we can actually open ourselves up to receive correction from other people. And then how do we give correction in a way that, because, so so here's what happens when we give correction. Because notice what Nathan does here. Nathan, speaking on behalf of God, comes at David not in a way to condemn him, but in a way to convert David, to get David to wake up and turn back onto the path of life. And that's because when God comes for you, he doesn't come at you just to condemn you or to lash at you, maybe like other people in your life have, but he always comes to convert you, to turn you back to him. And he does it with complete gentleness and mercy. Um, And so how this affects how we go after other people and confront other people in truth and love is often when somebody is stuck in a pattern and you really need to help them, often what happens is you don't go into it fully for their sake, right? So either they're doing something and it's just, it's really irritating you and you just want them to stop. So you're going to go after them that way. Um, Or number two, you have some kind of, you know, spiritual vigilante complex and you're just irritated at their unrighteousness and so you have to go fix it. Or you just need to be right. And I remember one time, this was earlier on in ministry, and somebody came after me and people, you know, uh, critique me a lot and often it's fair. And, but so this one time, this individual came after a position I held to theologically and I talked it over with other people and they, they were wrong, like they were, they were incorrect in the situation. And then the person was moving. And what I really wanted to do was like ask this person to get together so I'd ha- I could have a conversation with them and correct their theology. And you know, what I thought it was, was, you know, I just, I need to, I'm, I need to watch out for their spiritual health, right? Because if they're incorrect in their thinking in their heart, you know, they're going to go down a dark path. And so I, I called one of my mentors in ministry, and I just said, hey, here's the situation. You know, they have, like, another week here. I want to get together with them and revisit the conversation. And he asked me a great question. He said, Steve, you need to ask yourself, are you going to correct the, Are you? Do you want to go out and correct this individual because you really, like, 100% care about their spiritual health? Or do you want to go have a conversation with them because you know they thought you were wrong and, like, you just really need them to know you're right? I was like, why did I call you? You're like, are you supposed to be on my side? And, but but he, was, he was exactly right. He was exactly right. Um, you know, even if, yeah, my motives were mixed, uh, that really was at the heart of it. And so the key is when you see how gentle Jesus is with you, like this, like just to be blunt, I mean, how dare you not be gentle and compassionate toward other people? Like it doesn't mean you don't correct. It doesn't mean you don't rebuke in some way, shape, or form. But at the bottom of it, there should be a, an utter humility, knowing that you're in exactly the same boat as them. There's a verse in Hebrews chapter 5, verse 2, that says, Jesus, our high priest, can deal gently with the wayward and ignorant. He deals gently with the wayward and ignorant. And what's remarkable about this is, notice it doesn't say Jesus deals gently with those who live for him well. Jesus deals gently with those who evangelize with boldness for him. He deals gently with the ignorant and wayward. So Jesus knows and sees and feels every day when you don't live for him as you should, right? When you ignore him, when you live for yourself instead of him. But what he does is he deals with you gently, and not, he doesn't, like, he's not exasperated to do it. It's core to who he is. 
So that radically changes how we go after others in complete gentleness and humility. Okay, so just a, just a couple closing applications here. Um, number one, I hope you're not thinking about somebody else who you know, really needs to like, learn how they can be corrected. Just where in your life do you avoid people? Are you defensive? Do you not open yourself to correction? Just look at what Jesus Christ has done for you and see correction as his, one of his primary means of growing you. So that's number one. Uh, number two, this is, it's, it's brief but important. Notice what Nathan doesn't do. He doesn't send David a text message. He doesn't do it on Facebook. He doesn't do it on Twitter. And you say, well, that was 1,000 BC. You know, of course he didn't use Facebook or text message. I guarantee you if Nathan was, with a, was alive today, he wouldn't do it on text message or Twitter or Facebook. You might disagree. We can ask Nathan when we get to heaven. I think I'm right, okay? I'm very teachable. Um, I'm pretty sure I'm right. But this is key. This kind of stuff, it has to be done in person. Um, And if not in person, on the phone. I've seen so many people blow up relationships through just what starts as kind of this, like, innocuous text thread or Facebook message, and then next thing we know, the whole relationship is soured. It's this kind of thing. It has to be done in person. And then number three and I feel like I need to say this at the end. So God sends Nathan, and God is with Nathan throughout this entire process, and it's God who enables David to repent. And here's the key here. I don't want us to walk away thinking, okay, what it comes down to when I'm correct or when I correct others is I need to have the right tactic. Okay. Winsomeness matters. Uh, compassion, subtlety matters. Stories are helpful. But at the heart of it, only God can change a heart. Only God can change your heart, my heart, and only God can change somebody else's heart. You know, Jesus says in John chapter 6, the flesh is useless. The flesh is useless. It's only the spirit who gives life. And so what we need to grasp and be convinced of is when you're going into a conversation with somebody, and, you know, whether they're in a destructive path or you just really care for the person, you know, whether it's somebody you really want to be saved, whether it's somebody, a Christian, that you really want to be corrected in, you have to be convinced that there is absolutely nothing you can do. There is nothing you can do in your own power to change a heart. And so what this should do for you is cause you to be on your knees way more often, okay, for people in your life that you care about. And when somebody confronts you, same thing, being on your knees, asking God to help you see what they're trying to point out because it's only the Spirit who can convict us of truth and give us life. The word of the Lord came to Nathan, sent him to David, and Nathan came to him. Let's pray. Uh, Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you so much for just this remarkable example of one of your prophets who I'm sure was terrified to walk into this situation. And... uh, Yet through him, Lord, you were able to stop David from continuing his spiral, uh, stop him from harming other people, and then give us a great case study for how we can receive correction and how we can speak truth and love to other people, Lord. I pray that uh, above all, God, we will see Jesus and be amazed anew at the fact that you loved us and gave your life for us, Lord, when we were sinners and lost, while we were enemies of you. Um, Guide us as we continue in worship this evening and help us to leave tonight as ambassadors of you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.